If you're tired of the superficial and you're craving real conversation about life, relationships, fears, doubts, and the divine in the middle of it, this is the place for you. My name is Anna Dimmel, and I'm a blogger, writer, and former pastor. And it's my passion to build bridges, not walls, through honest, real conversation and connection. And I want that for you. This is the show that will help you do that and give you not only inspiration and connection, but will help you leave the superficial for good and form the real connections you're craving. Your story matters, and I'm so glad you're here. Welcome. Hi there. Welcome to the Behind the Mirror podcast. I'm Anna Dimmel, and I am so happy that you are joining us today. Today's episode is brought to us by Robert Arnau, and Robert is one of our Patreon supporters, and he supports this podcast monthly, and he is at the level where he gets recognized for that support monthly. So, Robert, thank you so much for your continued support of this podcast, and if you are interested in supporting this podcast, check out our Patreon page at justajesusfollower.com and click on the button Patreon. This week, I'm tackling a subject that has affected a lot of my life and I know has affected all of you guys' lives, even if you are totally unaware of it. And it's this lovely topic of grief. And as heavy and yucky as grief sounds, grief, once you have a handle on it, is actually quite empowering. Grief can be your ticket to the life you really want to live, to being healed and whole and healthy and break a lot of yucky cycles that we often find ourselves in, whether they be relationally or even shopping and eating and weird cycles like that. All of us fall into cycles that we don't particularly like. Grief often has a huge hand in those cycles, and we're going to talk all about that today. One of the things that I love about you guys is your support of each other. And you will see that inside our Facebook group. And I know I shout about it every single week, but it's because it's part of this community and something I love about this community. So if you've not opted in, I encourage you to do so. You can opt in on our page at justajesusfollower.com backslash podcast backslash podcast group. All of that being said, This is a topic that is so close to my heart, and I will say, if this triggers something for you, I encourage you to find someone you can talk to about that, to talk to your therapist, talk to a trusted friend, talk to someone. Don't let triggered stuff sit by itself. It's good to invite other trusted people into those spaces and into those conversations. So I encourage you to do that. And if anything else, if you don't have any of those people, please reach out to me. Happy to talk. Happy to be here. All of my love to you guys. And without any further ado, here we go. For those of you who have some Bible in your history, you may recognize this verse. As a dog returns to its vomit, so a fool returns to his folly. If that rings a bell for you, you may have heard that taught in one context or another. Um, For me personally, 
I have lots of piles of vomit that I have continued to come back to over and over and over again in my life. And there are moments when you kind of stop and go, why do I keep doing this thing? Why do I keep going back to this thing that only brings me yuck? It brings pain or it it brings frustration or it brings hurt or it brings rejection or it brings self-loathing or whatever it may be. Why do I keep running back to this thing? Why is that? Why does an alcoholic run back to the drink? Why does the abused woman run back to her abuser? Why does the person who swears to God they are going to not binge on chocolate at night hide in their closet and eat gobs of it? This is where we get tripped up. And this is why I wanted to talk about this this week, because this, I think, plays such a significant role in our everyday life and in the decisions we make and in the cycles and patterns we get stuck in. It could be a bad relationship you keep going back to. It could be an argument you keep circling around with your significant other. It could be a reactionary behavioral thing that you do with people in your life, with coworkers, with your kids. It could be that abuser that you keep going back to. It could be that bottle that you just can't put down. Even after you've gone to meetings, even after you have set up accountability, it could be that addiction to porn. It could be that addiction to food. The thing is, is that none of us are immune to this behavior. And a lot of us think that we're the only ones that get stuck in these cycles. But the truth is, all of us have these cycles. But why? Why do we have them when they always turn out badly? The thing that I keep circling back to this week lately is the role that grief plays in this cycle. And when I say grief, you know, you might think, oh, okay, she's talking about death. She's talking about very heavy tragedy. You know, that doesn't apply to me. I'm not going through any of that stuff. Well, The thing about grief is that it doesn't always apply to huge tragedy. It doesn't always apply to the big whammies in life. Grief can affect us from the smallest of smallest of things to the biggest of things. The issue in our culture is that we only seem to be allowed to be able to feel stuff when it's big. We rarely are given permission to feel stuff when it's small. But your life is made up of the small stuff. All of us have a timeline and we have the big things that spike on our timeline. But the truth is in between those big spikes, you have a lot of little tiny things. Little things that hurt. Little things that disappoint. Little things that trigger grief. Grief is a bitch. And I don't know any other way to slice it other than that. And for a lot of us, we are not given permission, even if it's to ourselves. We don't feel like we have permission to grieve the things that we experience. I've shared with you guys before that in my younger days, I went through some hard things. I 
experienced sexual abuse as a little kid. I experienced domestic violence as a young adult. Those are the big things on my timeline. And I and I pull from the things that I walked through in that and what I learned through those experiences. But in between those things, there were a lot of other little things that mattered just as much. When grief comes, it always catches you off guard. Always. I I can't think of a time that I went through something hard that the extreme emotional reaction or response I had to it like was expected. (laughs) I can think of a few times when it was expected like a death. You expect yourself to grieve at a funeral, especially if it's someone in your family or someone you were close to. But you know, the smaller things, the medium things, the semi-large things, it catches me off guard. And maybe that's how it is for you too. You know, I remember when I um, when I stepped down from the church I was pastoring, and and I knew it was coming. I knew that that it was definitely going to be time to move on soon. I knew that. But when I did end up stepping down, it was more abrupt than I thought, and so I maybe wasn't fully emotionally ready for that. But it's not like it caught me a hundred percent off guard. It didn't. The timing came when it came and I dealt with it. But what did catch me off guard was how even now, two years later, when I see pictures of of that church, especially the youth group, because I grew very close to some of the kids in that youth group, when I see pictures on Instagram or um, Facebook or things like that, my heart just aches. And that catches me off guard every time. I'm like, what the heck, Anna? You were you were kind of ready for that. So why why is this hitting you now still so hard? And you grieved it then, like I cried when I left. Um, why is this pulling at me? I can think of other smaller things like friendships that that ended. And I still feel grief over those. Um, I can think of a lot of seemingly small relationship issues, leaving certain groups, leaving certain communities, all of that triggered grief in me. And I don't even know that I felt like it deserved it. If I'm honest with you, I think you feel like, well, this is practical and this makes sense. And so this is the decision I'm making. Or this is out of my control, and this is the decision being made for me. Either way, I'm going to man up, and I'm going to deal with it, and I'm going to walk through it, and I'm going to be okay. And we are. Until we see a picture on Instagram, or we smell something that reminds us of that time, or the weather changes. Have you noticed that certain times of the year trigger things for you? For the longest time, I could not for the life of me, figure out why in the fall, why every year around Thanksgiving, I felt sad and depressed and heavy. I could not figure it out. Of course, for years, I blamed it on circumstances each year. Oh, well, it was because of this. Oh, it was because of that. And it wasn't until recently that I was like, oh, fall triggers trauma for me because I went through something very traumatic in the fall. Like, 20 years ago. It's still in me. Like my body responds to the weather changing. 
grief can catch you off guard. And in fact, it always will catch you off guard. But the thing is, is that we rarely know we're grieving when it hits. You might just feel insecure out of nowhere for some strange reason. You might be in a crowd of people shopping or at a restaurant or at an event and everything in you starts to like skin crawl panic and you're like, get me out of here. You might be listening to a song and all of the sudden you are feeling sad and heavy and totally worthless. It might be a TV show, a movie. It could be the smallest of things can trigger these feelings in us that come out of nowhere. Oftentimes it's because it's pulling at an event. It's pulling at something that has been stored in your memory, stored in your body that you haven't really fully given validation to. A lot of us don't have tools to fully walk through grief when hard stuff happens. We know that we have to survive. And so we kick into survival mode and we get moving and we get through it. And especially if you have little ones like I do, that I've been a parent for um, almost 16 years now. And when you have kids, that doesn't mean life stops. Like you still deal with hard stuff, but but you don't have the moments or the permission or the acknowledgement of time to sit and feel that stuff. You don't have time for it. You've got to pick up and move on. And so when things happen in our life that we continue to barely validate or, or barely acknowledge, we are just shoveling them into a closet. One thing on top of another, we pile and pile and pile and pile. And that's how we get through it. But then something happens that knocks that closet door wide open. And out of nowhere, all of the stuff that you've been trying to not feel comes barreling out. Grief always catches you off guard. And the thing is, when you hit those like closet opening moments, they send you into a tailspin. I was talking with a friend earlier today and I I was using this comparison because this is the only comparison I know for grief. And that is, it's like being in the ocean and and you know, when those waves come over you and, um, and I had to learn this when I was little, we took a trip to the beach and it scared me the undertow, right? Because you, you don't feel like you have control when the undertow happens. If a wave crashes over you and sucks you into that undertow, the worst thing you can do is fight it, right? Although your instinct wants to fight it, you have to like allow your body to go limp and be tumbled underneath the water until it pushes you back up and it pushes you back towards the shore. Grief is like that. It's like a big, huge, unexpected tidal wave. And you're just moseying about your life and out of nowhere, it crashes over you and it sucks you under. It pulls you down. It turns you inside out. It flips you all around. You're upside down. You don't know which way is up. You don't know which way is down. And you feel like you're choking. You feel like you can't breathe. You feel like it's dark and you do not know how you are ever going to make it back to the surface again. And our instinct tells us to kick and scream and fight. 
and not allow the undertow to have its way. But the best thing you can do is to let it have its way. Let it flip you upside down. Let it suck you under. Let it tumble you all around. Let it disorient you. Let it feel like it's choking the life out of your lungs. And then before you know it, it spits you out onto the shore. And most of us, when we hit the shore, we're gasping for air and we're saying to ourselves, what the hell just happened, right? And we're completely like dumbfounded as to how we landed there. Welcome to grief. That's grief. Grief is relentless. And the reason it's relentless is because our bodies are designed to grieve. One of the passages that I took great comfort in when I was going through some heavy stuff years ago was found um, in Exodus, I believe. And it's the story of the Israelites. And it's, it's after Moses dies and they were heartbroken. They were grief stricken. And it says in the passage, and forgive me if I misquote this, but it says in the passage that they had a set time of grief. And so there were weeks that they set aside for grieving. And, and in Jewish cultures, you will still find today that grief is, is looked at that way, that there is a set time that you push everything else out of your life and you, you devote it to grief. The reason this is so important is because our bodies are not hardwired to hold pain in. Our bodies, when you, when you do stuff it like that and you hold pain in, our, our bodies actually hold on to the grief. There's a lot of therapies and a lot of books written about this where, where trauma and pain and grief are literally stored in your muscle memory and you can de- develop physical issues simply due to unresolved grief and unresolved heartache and pain. So so grief is a real thing, but our bodies run into a lot of problems if we hold it in. We're, we're simply not made to hold grief and pain in. So I think the Israelites and now the Jewish culture, they have this thing way more figured out than we do because they recognize the importance of grieving. In that passage in Exodus, it talks about how they had this set time of grief and they did not move on from that place until the time of grieving was over. And I remember when I read that the first time, I was like, they didn't move on until the time of grieving was over. Huh. That was when I first began giving myself um, permission slips. to allow myself time to grieve. Our bodies just aren't made not to. And so grief, although awful, although heavy, although suffocating, although scary, it doesn't last forever. Your body eventually moves through it. The problem, though, is that a lot of us, when these traumatic things and when these hard things happen, whether big or small, We don't allow ourselves a set time to grieve. We move on to the next thing because that's the pace that we are in and that is the rhythm that we have set. And so by God, we just pick up when we keep going. And in in this day and age, people are like admired for that stuff. People will just praise you if you like 
don't break any emotion when you're going through hard stuff. They're like, wow, I mean, the strength of that person. And then you mix that with the church culture and they slap the the Jesus thing on it. And it's like, wow, they must really, really be spiritually sound. I mean, they are so connected to God that they are just floating through this like it's no big deal. That is faith. And, and so then you get this whole weird warped faith and 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 good Christian labeled stapled onto it. And it's like, yuck. No, they're not being a great Christian. No, they are not some holier being that has like accelerated into this divine place. Trust me, that is not it. That is called denial. <laughs> like That is all they're doing. They are in denial. But we praise people for that. It's, it's absurd. The people who have learned the art of honesty, and I don't mean vomiting your story and your pain to every person that's around you, but if you need to do that, you do you. But I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about you and you. I heard a quote once, and I think I even shared this um, on my Instagram page or somewhere. I know I shared this. The most important relationship is you and you. It's the very first relationship you have, and it's the most important one, you and you. So when I'm talking about being honest, that's what I mean. I mean, you sitting with you. It might be you in a journal. It might be you in a mirror. But it's you being honest with you. That's where spirituality awakens, my friends. Those are the moments that have marked me in my spiritual journey and in my connection with God. It has been those raw, ugly, grieving me and me and paper and a pen and God. And us being brutally honest about me, what I really, really feel, what I really, really don't want to feel. (laughs) Sometimes that's just as important. So giving yourself and your body permission to grieve, giving yourself and your body permission to be honest about the pain, it takes practice. This is not a muscle that just builds overnight because for a lot of us, Your life has taught you that being strong in the hard stuff looks like you not feeling any of it. You've been taught that being tough through life's really crappy moments looks like you rising above and memorizing verses and and praising Jesus the whole way through. You've been taught that that's what you're supposed to do, but I'm telling you, strength is found in the vulnerability. Strength is found in the brokenness. Strength is found in the raw unzipping of your soul and being honest about what's inside there. Strength is found in allowing a set time for grief. Strength is found in relinquishing control when the wave of grief hits like a freight train. Strength is built there. It's not built in shoving it under all the layers you can muster inside of you and not feeling it or giving yourself access to it. That's not strength. And for those of you who were taught that that's what strength looks like, it takes some work to undo that. But the thing is, is that you will be given 
opportunity after opportunity after opportunity because grief will always look for a way out. As I said earlier, our bodies are not designed to hold grief and pain. And so when the knock comes on that closet door and all the stuff tumbles out, there may be times that even your best attempts to shove it all back in, you fail because it's too heavy. It's too much. And by God, ready or not, here it all comes. These are some of the scariest moments in people's lives. And in my work, in my writing work, in my speaking work, in my pastoring work, this seems to be where I get to walk alongside people in. And it's an honor beyond belief every single time. But it's in these moments where, holy cow, it's coming out and I can't stop it and I don't know what to do because I don't want to feel any of this, but it's like, it's like, I have no control over it. It's all just out. I am just pissed off and angry all the time, or I am just crying uncontrollably. And I do not know why I cannot stop crying or it's, I am just quitting everything, quitting everything. I quit life. I have no desire for any of it anymore. It is, I'm walking away from every relationship that I thought I believed in because I'm seeing everything so differently now. And I just can't stomach any of it. It, it manifests itself in a lot of different ways. But when that moment happens, this is where the real you shows up. And when the real you shows up, it's scary and it's terrifying. And it's like, oh my gosh, failure. At least that's where I go. Because you we are not in a world that tells us that these moments are strong. We're not in a world that tells us that this stuff actually brings grit and tenacity and endurance and strength and spirituality and and a whole other level of holiness and sacredness. We're not taught that. We're taught the opposite. So for me, when I face me and all of the brokenness and all of the mess and all of the grief that still, still wants to bubble out of me, when I least expect it. I feel like, oh my gosh, here I am still. And this is where so many of us fall into our patterns. This is why abused women run back. This is why the alcoholic runs back to the drink. This is why the patterns you want to leave behind you run back to. Why? Well, because when you're faced with you, and you're faced with grief, and the two of those are going hand in hand, we run to what's familiar. We run to the temporary fix, even though we know that it's really not going to fix us long-term, we don't even care. Because grief has called our number, and we're tapping out. I heard someone say, and this has stuck with me forever, because I am a lover of sugar, Sugar, uh, yeah, it it definitely has has a hold on me. I love me some sugar, and it's also not good for my body. My body just does not handle sugar all that well anymore. So, I remember hearing someone talk about this, and and this is what they said. They said that for them, they realized that their addiction to sugar came whenever they were feeling rejection. Because they were wanting to feel something sweet to them. In their relationships in their life, they didn't feel that people were sweet or kind or meeting any of those intimate needs for them. 
And when those feelings became so big and so loud, they wanted something sweet to offset the absence of sweetness in their life. And when I heard that, I was like, oh, geez, (laughs) yikes, that's real. Good God, that's real. And that's heavy and that's honest. And I really don't know that I want to know that or think about that because a lot of that is probably true for me too. And so it's, it's connecting those small dots. It's having that honest, real look at yourself. Like, what is the fix in this thing for me? People who run in those relationship cycles, it's a real thing. And it's something that I, I talk to people often about. It seems to be something that keeps coming up. We want what's familiar. And when grief comes, it feels scary. Everything feels scary when grief comes. All of a sudden, like I said, when you're underwater and you cannot tell what is up and what is down, you're terrified. You just want to feel something normal again. That's why people run back. It feels normal. It feels safe in its own weird, dysfunctional way. This is why people get stuck in patterns. This is why. My point in connecting these dots isn't to shame any of us or or bring shame to this whole thing. It's simply just to call it out for what it is, that you're a human being with feelings. And when things have happened in your life that have not been given permission to be felt, that have not been given validation for their realness and for their heaviness and for their effect on you, You're going to do whatever you can to survive. And oftentimes we survive by shutting down. We survive by checking out. We survive by not allowing ourselves to really tap into those feelings. But it doesn't mean that you aren't feeling. It doesn't mean that you are callous and cold. It means that you are not giving yourself permission to acknowledge any of it. And when that happens, That grief will wait patiently for a moment when it can be let out. And when it does, it feels like your whole world is crumbling down. But you know what? Here's the beauty. When grief shows up, it is an invitation to healing. It is an invitation to freedom. It is an invitation to have that set time to grieve that you never were given permission to have before. You deserve that. You owe it to yourself to have that. You were designed for that. You weren't designed to carry pain and grief and never name it. The thing about grief is that once you do surrender to it, once you do let go and let it have its way, you actually get to know it. You sit with it. You talk to it. You might even eat chocolate with it if you're like me. (laughs) And then all of a sudden, like anything else that's unfamiliar, as soon as you familiarize yourself with it, it loses its fear factor. It's like all of its monster qualities start disappearing and you start to see it as an old friend. One that you, as oddly enough, you don't really want around anymore, but you have so much history with it. That even that alone can be comforting. 
Grief for me, it feels like an old friend, a friend that I can go a long time without seeing and I'm totally fine. But when they show up, there is so much history that it's almost like a comforting warm blanket. It's weird. It wasn't always that way for me, but eventually it becomes that way and and it loses it loses its frightening spell that it would normally have on you. You, my sweet friends, are not alone in any of the grieving stuff. You're not alone at all. And you're not crazy for feeling any of it or for not feeling any of it because all of this is like part of the normal human experience. All of us are doing this. And I know you might look at people around you and be like, whatever, like so-and-so is definitely not doing this. They've so got their act together or they just don't have anything to grieve. Maybe, maybe, but more likely than not, they're in a world of denial. And for someone who for a long time compared myself to other people, that eventually started making me feel better. Because when I started realizing that the people around me that seemed like super like perfect and super happy and super everything's in order and great, I, you know, looked a little bit deeper and it I didn't have to look far to see loads of denial. And I was like, well, okay. They're choosing denial. That's their path. That will not stick forever, but that's where they are right now. At least I'm not in that space. At least I'm not in denial. At least I'm looking at myself. (laughs) At least I'm like sitting at home and dealing with it as best as I could. We never get perfect at this. You were not made for perfection, but what you were made for is emotion and feeling. You were made for that. And I encourage you that whatever feelings, you you are avoiding whatever feelings are now making a grand entrance or whatever feelings you just don't know why they're popping up. I want you to know that there's nothing wrong with you for any of it. All of it matters. And all of it is an invitation into part of your story that just needs to be validated. A part of your story that needs to be named. I needed to name abuse. I didn't want to for a really long time. But part of my grieving meant honesty. Part of my grieving meant having to admit that although I toughed it out, it nearly killed me. That although I was able to function and have a smile on my face every day and pray my way through it, It took away a big part of who I was. It killed a huge part of who I was before that. Part of me died. And I had to name why. I had to name what it was. I had to say the words out loud, abuse. And that was hard. Because it felt so like dehumanizing me. I don't know if that makes sense, but it did to me because I I was so proud of the strength that I thought I'd had through it. But I found later that the real strength was in admitting how much that took from me. Sometimes you just have to name the thing. Naming the thing actually makes it more approachable 
naming the thing actually starts giving it a place of importance in your timeline and in your story that maybe it didn't have before. Naming the thing is huge. It's huge. So whatever your cycles are that you keep finding yourself spinning in circles over, I venture a guess that grief is playing a part in that process. And equally, all of the emotions that you are having or not having, I venture a guess that grief plays a part in that too. And equally, one more thing. Those random events that trigger extreme reactions out of you, I don't have to venture a guess. I know that that's grief. That's what grief does because grief wants your attention. It deserves your attention. You deserve your attention, your pain, your story, your disappointments. They deserve attention. They deserve to be validated. They deserve to be named. They deserve to be sat with and heard. So wherever you are today, whatever this is stirring in you, because I imagine it probably is stirring a few things in you, don't be afraid to sit with that. Even if you don't know exactly what it is you're sitting with, don't be afraid to sit with it. Don't be afraid to go inside for a little bit and reconnect with you, the most important relationship you have, you and you. Because if you're not okay, none of your other relationships are going to be very okay. You and you, you have to be well. I think of that verse, um, it is well with my soul. It is well within me. There's a lot of verses that talk about that. Be still my soul. It is well with my soul. Be at rest my soul. And it's displaying that thing, that you and you thing. We have to go inward and we have to have conversations with our soul. We have to. That's part of the human experience. That's part of the spirituality. It all ties together. So don't be afraid to sit down with you. Get to know you. And choose after you look at you to say, it's well with me. It is well with me. Even if it is well means I'm a broken, screwed up pile of a mess. I'm well with me in that space. Even if that means I am pissed off and raging angry because I have not ever been given permission to feel any of this and I'm mad about even that. It is well with me in that space. I am... I am well with my own soul being in that space. You have permission to have those conversations and you have permission to give your soul space to feel all of it and to say, it's well with me where you're at today. It's well with me. I love you guys. I hope this encouraged you to press in to this whole grief thing. And know that I am just an email or a message away. So please reach out if you need to. I love to hear from you. Love hearing from you guys. Peace. Hey. 
Hey there, I hope you enjoyed the conversation today. You can find my blog and links to my Instagram and Facebook account on my website at justajesusfollower.com. I hope you join us next week for another raw, honest conversation. In the meantime, go in peace and know that you are enough.